Are we ready? During these last weeks of the liturgical year, we've been asking that question, are we ready? Are we ready for the end? Are we ready for the judgment we know is certain to come, though we don't know when? Remember, over these past four weeks, we've been uh, recognizing that death is an end, but is an end which leads to a beginning. For the unrighteous, for those who have rejected the oil of charity freely given, it withers into the torments of hell. For the righteous, those in union with Jesus, it blossoms unto heavenly glory. Today we focus on that question. Are you ready to share His glory? Are you ready for heaven? That you should desire it, that I should desire it, brothers and sisters, this is a very important thing. Heaven, unending communion with God, that is what we are made for. We long to hear those words, and we ought to long to hear those words, come, blessed of my Father, and enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Today we also come to the end of the liturgical year with great solemnity, with the great solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe, better known as Christ the King, probably because of the consonants between the k sounds. It kind of sticks in our mind. Now our conception, especially as Americans, of kings has mostly been formed by the bad examples of leadership that we've seen. When we think of kings, we might think of a demanding, tyrannical ruler who, taking no account of the good of his subjects, does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Or perhaps because of the Netflix series, The Crown, we think of the British monarch who serves as head of state with some influence, but has little real authority. Yet both of these images are caricatures. They fail to give us an image of who Jesus is is when we say that Christ is king. Christ is neither a tyrant nor without power. He is the king of kings. In the best sense of the word, a king is one who serves his people. A good king is one who places the good of his people above his own private good. A good king is one who is willing to lay down his life that his subjects may live. This is what Jesus did and does for you and for me. Christ is king. The throne, his throne is the cross, and his crown is of thorns. There he does battle for your soul and mine. There he conquers the ancient foe at the cost of his very life. And here today, again, he comes to this altar. Your king lays down his life that you might live. He feeds you with his body, quenches your thirst with his blood. He clothes you with a share in his dignity. He cures you of the illness of sin, and he sets you free from the prison of selfishness, addiction, vice, and its accompanying hellish misery. The only cost to you, brothers and sisters, to receive this is that you follow him, take up his banner, and remain in communion with him. What does it mean to be in glorious communion with Christ our King? Jesus gives us a very clear measure today of what is necessary to be in communion with Him. The measure of whether you are ready for heaven is to consider whether you are ready to do as He does, to lay down your life for the least of these. For heaven is nothing more than communion with Christ and nothing less. We must be willing to be in communion with Him here, if we wish to be with him forever there. If we refuse communion with Christ and those around us, we cannot hope to be with him in glory. Yet the opposite is also true. 
If we follow him and live in communion with him now, we shall reign with him in glory. Why does Jesus care so much about how we treat others? To live in heaven, we must begin here to live a heavenly life. And to live a heavenly life, we must be in communion with those whom Jesus loves. For that is what it means to be in communion with him. Thus, because Jesus loves all human beings, because he died for us while we were still yet sinners, he calls us by our service to help others to recognize the reality of their dignity and their call to glory. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you may talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as but a gnat. But it is immortals whom we see each day. It is immortals we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. His love then moves us to love, brothers and sisters. Who are the least ones with whom Christ has identified himself? They may seem far off. You might ask, where am I to find ones who are hungry, thirsty, naked, ill, or imprisoned? It's a good question, and as Christians, we need to pray for the grace to look for and respond to the real needs around us, and to recognize we are called to be instruments of his continued work in the world. Yet many times we don't have to go too far to encounter the least ones. The people around us in our families and community are the first ones to whom we should look to recognize Christ. For married people, your spouse and your children are the first ones to look to as Christ. Your kids are hungry and thirsty on a regular basis, aren't they? When you give them something to drink, you're serving Christ. When you comfort the child caught up in some sort of sadness, you welcome Christ the stranger. When you answer the question, where are my shoes for the thousandth time, you are clothing the naked Christ. When the kid throws up in the middle of the night and you care for him, you are caring for the ill Christ. When you talk with your son imprisoned in shame for something he did wrong and show him he is not the sum of his mistakes, you visit Christ imprisoned. But this doesn't just go for single or for married people. For single and those who are beyond having kids, you also must look to the ones around you as well, whatever that community looks like. The elderly person next door is the imprisoned Christ waiting for you to visit. Your aging parents are the ill Christ that you are to comfort. The co-worker who has lost her sense of dignity is the Christ you can clothe with dignity by your actions towards her. The person who you do not know that you encounter here in this church who is new is Christ the stranger whom you can welcome. The friends you welcome to your home are Christ who hungers and thirsts. How much more does this love then come to resemble our saviors when from 
when overflowing from the circle of family and friends, it leads us out of our initial community to reach out to those around us who are not yet among our family or friends, or even perhaps who are our enemies. For while we were still yet sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us. Imagine if we each, according to our ability and state in life, chose to serve those around us, going beyond the people we know and seeking those on the peripheries, seeking Christ in the peripheries. There are people in temple who are hungry and thirsty. If you want to help them, one way is to do this is to join our social ministries in serving and feed my sheep. There are people in temple who are physically in need of adequate clothing. Perhaps more commonly though, there are people in our community who stand naked and exposed, whose dignity is debased because of the way they look, talk, act. And it is our responsibility as legates of the, the king to remind them of their dignity by clothing them with that dignity that they deserve. We remind them of who they are by the way we treat them. There are people who are ill in our community and temple, and we ought to be proud that we as a community care for so many physically in the hospitals and clinics in which many of you work. But the ill need more than physical care. They need our spiritual support. That's one reason we take communion to them after each Mass. There are people in Temple, Texas, who are imprisoned, yet even physically, because of the choices that they have made. Literally, they have made. They're literally in prisons around us, and they need to know the love of Christ. The diocese actually has a prison ministry that you can be involved in. If you're interested, let me know. But there are many more who are in a spiritual imprisonment, in addiction or habits of sin. There are many who face the solitary confinement of loneliness. There is an epidemic of loneliness in our culture. Are you willing to speak with people, to visit them, and to offer them hope because you recognize Christ in them? Brothers and sisters, this love that we offer in our families and in our community, and I recognize it's not perfect, leads us out of ourselves. And that's the point. We become habituated to giving of ourselves for the good of others. That's what Jesus did. We're conforming ourselves then to his will. We're learning to love him and to love like him. And that, my friends, is precisely what heaven is. Heaven is intimate, perfect life with the most blessed trinity. The ultimate end and fulfillment of the deepest human longings. The state of supreme, definitive happiness. And it consists in being with in that communion of love, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we refuse that communion with Christ in those around us, we cannot hope to be with Him in glory. Yet the opposite is also true. If we love like Him now, we will reign in glory with Him in the communion of the Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.